Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. Jeff Mitchell here. We are here with Jeremy and with Daniel. The Frogs get a 14-13 win at home against Kansas State. What seems like a month since the Frogs last won, because it was a month, we were able to see them get a victory. Coach Patterson, for years since he's been here, says the goal is just to win by one, and sometimes that's frustrating when you think the team could have maybe played a little better. But, hey, they won by one, and at this point, I will take that W. We're going to rehash that, what's going on in the Big 12, as well as preview the game in Morgantown this Saturday at 11 a.m. That and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, man, I don't know quite where to begin. On this show last week, we did um, some some counterintuitive uh, lifting up as well as maybe some clear criticism. We had a few choice words for those that were calling for the head of our offensive coordinator because, hey, we thought the offense was getting the job done against Kansas and that difficult loss to the stomach because they could have put up, you know, they put up some points. They could have put up a lot more points. And then we kind of took a shot at the defense that wasn't getting a lot of uh, confrontation. We said, hey, they were not able to stop them on third down. Third and long was a nightmare against Kansas. And then the Frogs come out and they only put up 14 points. And the defense, I think, did a pretty good job this game. So let's get inside that a little bit. Jeremy, let's start with you. Just what's your takeaway on both sides of this of the ball quickly in this game as the Frogs pull it, uh, as the cliche says, they win by one against the Snyder Cats? I thought the overall offensive performance was was pretty bad. Um, you know, first first game with no offensive turnovers since Southern. Um, nice. Which is pretty, <laughs> which is pretty unbelievable. Um, but, I mean, they, they only totaled 275 yards against the worst defense in the Big 12, uh, there, there was obviously some execution issues. Collins and Rager weren't on the same page on, on some of those passes. Uh, Collins didn't have near, good as, near as good a day as he did up in Kansas, um, completing um, passes downfield. <clears throat> the, uh, the thing that hasn't changed is the run blocking. That, that was the most disappointing uh, aspect of this game. When I went back and looked at it, you know, Kansas State coming into this game was giving up 191 yards per game, which ranked them dead last in the Big 12. TCU, I think, averaged 2.2 yards per carry. Um, listen, I'm sorry for you <laughs> offensive line defenders or you guys that just hate Sonny Cumbie. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I, I understand the, the play calling is nowhere near – um, what it was a few years ago, but my goodness, man, how, how can you, how can you sit there and, and with a straight face and say, it, this is all play calling literally. I mean, you can't offensive line has just got, I don't know. I mean, I think Chris Thompson is not the problem. Chris Thompson's a great coach. If you look at what he did last year with the offensive line, he's a great coach and everyone was singing his praises last year. I think it, this this time around, it's you just you gotta gotta find some dudes, man. Gotta find some dudes. And defensively, I said this on the board, and I'm not trying to take a shot at the defense. Defense played well, um, did enough to get the win. But I think this was just a uh, a game of two of the worst offenses in the Big Twelve. Plain and simple. I'll talk more about the defense later. That was succinct, clear. And might I add, accurate on both sides of the ball. <laughs> on both sides of the ball, you look at the, what the offensive line was able to do. Darius Anderson, who we know has the capacity to be a great running back, 13 carries for 48 yards. I was really glad to see Darius get that touchdown on the on the. I guess it would be the second drive after the Frogs recovered the punt, right. fumble, the fumble on the punt. I was really glad for him to be able to get into the end zone. I thought that was actually a pretty well, uh, pretty pretty well called play, a well designed play to get him in there, where they brought you know brought motion across and then kind of did the quick pitch out away from the motion, away from the the strength. But beyond that, I don't have any memories of after watching this game twice where I thought, man, they're 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 kind of moving the ball. You know, offensive line's doing its job. And as you said, yeah. this is this is a bad K State team. There's just no other way to put it. And this is not a good TCU team. And so to see the offensive line struggle, you know it's not I'm not gonna let Thompson off the hook completely because I thought we should have been able to get a one yard push against Kansas on the goal line. I thought we should have been able to run for a little more yardage than we did against K State. But it's just, this is what happens when you have a young offensive line. This is what happens when you're literally 
replacing everyone across the board. You don't have the depth. You don't have the five guys that are going into NFL camps. And you can uh, you can get creative with skill guys the further away from the ball that you get. When you got a you know a young talented freshman that you put out wide, he can do some things. You can't stick a freshman or a sophomore in the middle of, the, of an offensive line. And I don't care if you're running the spread or running the wishbone and expect them to be able to to, to do what a freshman or sophomore running back can do. And I just think that that's a deficiency that everybody kind of was aware of at the beginning into the season, but they knew there was so much strength around it. It's just not come along in the way that the Frogs have needed in order to put up, let's be honest, more than 14 points against a really bad K-State team. Daniel, when you you were there sitting in, in pretty pretty plush seats from what you told me, sitting in good seats, what was it like watching this offense struggle? And do you, do you agree with Jeremy and I's assessment that it's the offensive line, or do you have some other things that caught your eye that uh, are of concern? I was in the second row of the West Side Lower Bowl, so I was drinking champagne, having some uh, crudités, and I was completely socializing with all my rich friends, and I don't even know what was going on in front of me. Were you told to sit down, or did you even not even bother to stand up? I was actually laying down. <laughs> I was taking, yeah, I was relaxing sleep. like a. <laughs> <laughs> Like an antique uh, French fainting couch. <laughs> I'm lounging. You have West Sider Learn. written all Learn. over you. Learn you're going to be on the east side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're going to be on the east wake side me next up year. When they score 20. <laughs> wake me up when they score 20. <laughs> That's just a preview of your luxury box next year that Jeremy and I will come up. We'll be slumming. We'll be slumming with you there next year. Uh, yeah. And I, I, did, I did have those seats. Uh, Starting about the halfway in the second quarter, is a, a, fr- a friend of my dad's. I was there with my dad uh, up there in the West Side Concourse. We were saying he he saw us and he was headed out, so he just gave us his tickets and uh, let us enjoy the the nice view. It, it was fun. I was I liked being right. I mean, I was right on the team, and I could you know see them talking, and I could get a feel for you know they're they 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 got a they got a feeling for the game that or the, the year. You know they they know what's up. They're not stupid. And, uh, it was an, it was a nice feeling to know that they're not completely frustrated and feel like everything just sucks. It's, it's nothing like, uh, what it feels like to be on a message board these last few weeks. So <laughs> that's great. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. So, um, I forgot what the original part of your question was. Anything on the offense that you saw? Do you agree with Jeremy and I about the offensive line? Anything else? Oh yeah, it's bad, and it's it's just it is what it is, and it all starts there. And you know you can't blame Cumby when you've got nothing. You know you've you've got uh, it it just that's where it starts. If you can't get a push, that's why you that's why you you know someone as good rated as Darius Anderson's not hardly getting any any runs or in because we're not getting any push and against a terrible um, running defense. And it's just, it's bad. So um, I like the, the Rager catch and score. That was pretty cool. That's about it. You know, I want to, I want to say this just so I'm clear. I think, you know, Austin Meyer, Kelton Hollins, obviously with Wes Harris, those are great athletes. Those are going to be great offensive linemen. And I think by the time you get into the middle of the grind next year, those guys will have the verbal and nonverbal communication to uh, be able to gel and function as an offensive line to begin to reestablish themselves as, as a premier offensive line in the Big 12. I just think it's it's so hard to bring all of those new players in in one cycle. You can bring in one. You can maybe bring in two. But when you're essentially playing five guys that didn't take quality Far, you know, quality starts in games that mattered last year. It, it, it's just a big task, and it, and I don't I don't hold it against them. I'm not I'm not knocking them in terms of what they're going to be able to do in the future because I think it's got a really high ceiling. It's just I don't know any any team that would be able to excel uh, being put in that position. And then of course you multiply it by injuries and arrests and all that kind of stuff. It, it really does put them in a tough spot. So I, I don't want to just sound like I'm piling on the offensive line. I, in some ways I feel bad for them because they're being asked to do something that, that hardly anybody would be able to do. These are great recruits. These are great guys that are going to develop. I think, I think the lumps that they take this year will translate into victories in 2019 and 2020 and beyond. It's just a lot to put on a young team this year. And it's uh it's evident and it's showing. And I, 
I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to be able to translate into something that we see maybe some growth by the end of the season in these last three games, regular season games, and then hope that it translates into success on the field in 2019. One of those guys you were talking about, the the younger guys, Wes Harris, if <clears throat> one thing I, I will give him a little bit of a leash because he he didn't play at all last year. He was hurt all of last year. Didn't didn't get really the the practice time he needed. Didn't come back and until really this fall. I mean, he was he he was very limited in the spring. And guys, if you don't remember, even when he was a senior at Alito, he was playing more he was playing defensive D-tackle. tackle. He was playing more defensive tackle. I don't think he played lineman that much at all. And so you got a guy right there that has been seeing significant action up until the last few weeks that really hadn't seen a lot of offensive line work the last two years, but they see it, they see his potential. And, and obviously he, he was highly regarded for a reason. Wes is going to get it put together, but I, I will say this about the offensive line. I know they're taking their lumps this year, but if, if you go back and you look at the 2016 season, that was one of the biggest concerns for that team as well. The offensive line along with Kenny was, was the two glaring question marks that they had um, on offense. And then by the time those guys grow up a year, 2017, here we are talking about how great with the same guys, basically with the same guys, how great that offensive line was and how great of a job Chris Thompson had done in such a short amount of time. I know it, we, TCU and, and they've had such great success. Everyone is in this realm where they want instant gratification. And TCU's just not that they're they're not at that point to be that type of program yet. I mean, they're they're they've had some great seasons. They've had some great runs. Yeah, three out of the four past uh, the three out of the past four years they've gone in the top ten. That's great, and, and I understand. You know, you you want good seasons every year, and I don't think anyone expected this uh, the four and five start. But there's when you have that many injuries, when you have uh, guys that are fresh on the offensive line. You've got new quarterbacks. Obviously, you don't have the guys like John DRs. You're missing Cavante Turpin now. There's there's going to be pains and and like I like I said on the board, uh, TCU fans are in no position to be argumentative of what kind of win they get. <laughs> Just take a win when you can get a win oh. with this. I don't care if you if you win seven to six, it's a win. And with the way this season has gone, it's it's it, you got to take it. it let, let's say this: if TCU goes up to West Virginia and beats them by one, no one's going to complain. But everyone's complaining because Kansas State stinks. Well, TCU's not that great either. So you got to take wins whenever you can get them. And if their kicker missed a, a, a PAT that, that cost them a game. Welcome to our world of struggling kicking. That's just what it is. So, yeah, yeah I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain about their kicker uh, not being able to come through in, in multiple situations in this game because that that's that's really what some of these close games come down to. Whether it's you know a, a game where there's over 100 points total or whether there's a game when there's 27 points total. This is just what this is what this is what college football is. And it, we actually caught a break. And so you think about all of those breaks that we haven't caught this year in terms of turnover margin, in terms of a kick not getting there, in terms of an, uh, an, an awkward turnover that gets, you know, that they return for a touchdown or they return in a freak play that they return into the red zone. This, this is a game that broke our way. The Frogs got a win, and I'm, I'm not going to apologize for it. There's no asterisk for it in my book. I wish we could have caught a break the week before, and we're sitting at 5-4 and four rather than 4-5. and five. But that's what happens in, in, in college football, especially once you get outside, all right, you got – you got two top teams this year. Then I think you got about five or six more teams fighting for the other two playoff spots. And then from about, I don't know, 10 to 50, I mean, there's just a lot of chaos that can happen. I mean, there's just a lot of weird stuff that happens. And if you can catch a break, you take it because that's, that's the nature of the beast when you're not an elite team. And TCU is not an elite team this year. So four and five, wish it was five and four, wish it was, uh, you know, more than I wish it was seven and two, but it's four and five. And the, if you're complaining about this win, I'm really sorry because I, I enjoyed it. I took a sigh of relief when it was over, but it was nice to get back in the wind column after a month of taking L's. I'm tired of taking L's. <laughs> 
Anything else that you saw? You were gonna. What do you want to talk about defense, Jeremy? Anything on the defensive side of the ball in terms of what the frogs were able to do to sh- you know kind of shut down K State as yeah. well as uh, acknowledging that this this is not this is not Calvin Klein K State. There, there's no Jake Waters and Tyler Lockett out there. Yeah, the the defense when Delton came in the game, I was I was. Uh, kind of surprised with how well he was throwing the football because he's not known as a passing quarterback at all. But they really did make a good uh, halftime adjustment. And they held Kansas State to 301 yards, and, and Delton ended up throwing for 155. Um, Barnes got loose a little bit. Barnes rushed for over 100, and, and you know he's the one of the top running backs in the Big 12, so he's going to get his yards. But I, I was impressed uh, with the way they, they played this week on third downs. They did give up a few third downs, but it was nowhere near as bad as they did the previous week against Kansas, where they just could not get off the football field for whatever reason on third downs. Um, the the play I was particularly uh, impressed with the not the the one play, but just a series of plays is when uh, Kansas State had drove down and and they got within the one yard line, and, and TCU really did a good job of stacks just stopping the run and and I'm not sure if Delton got in on that second that second run it it looked really really close but I, I even though they gave a score on the scoreboard I was still really impressed with the fight that TCU had because up until that point they looked extremely gassed on defense that's when Barnes was carving up some yards up the middle um, Delton had some good runs but I was impressed with that that stance they had and obviously uh you get you get a uh a turnover from a missed field goal, a botched snap, and you get an interception. And then uh, I, I was really impressed with uh, the defensive line play, especially with LJ Collier um, getting after the quarterback. Uh, he had two sacks. But the one thing that I w- that I liked uh, from the secondary was, was not eliminating the passing game in the second half, but the way Coach Patterson allowed his – secondary to get involved in, in rushing the quarterback and the, the sacks by Ridwan Isahaku and Jeff Gladney were big plays and do we want to talk about the Jeff Gladney play that that I put I, that on my snap I want to <laughs> I want to talk about that for a couple reasons so I'll, yeah. let, let me tell you what I saw and then I want to hear from both of you all if this is if this is what you saw and because I, I watched it on television and all right, so I, I saw Gladney start to cheat up right as the, he was about to clap for the ball, and I saw him come in, and, and, and I could tell that Delton didn't see he was coming, and he's got that backside rush, and he knocks the ball loose, and there's a fumble, and Banigou picks it up. And so I'm like, all right, you know, hey, we're going to have the ball. The Frogs are going to have the ball. They're going to be cooking with grease, and who knows what's going to happen here. Banigou comes up with the ball, starts to move, and as he's going down, am I wrong? He pitches. He tries to pitch the ball yeah. to, to – Who's he trying to pitch it to? I could not. I watched the replay like five times. Was was there a defensive tackle sitting there that he expected to take it to the house? But I don't he, know. He, he tried to pitch the ball, and then it, it, it fumbled again. And so then K-State got the ball back. And because there was a recognition of a change of possession, it goes to first and ten again yeah. for K-State. The, that, that's the season in a nutshell. Exactly. These amazing moments are like, <laughs> oh, oh, well, okay. I know they're trying when, hard. When was that? Yeah, you were that was you, in the when you were drunk. You hung over. You were getting your caviar. I think you were oh. uh, moving some money around in your in your account in your offshore accounts at that time. That's kind of a West Side. No, habit. I think uh, I think we were holding a wine tasting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think that was in the third quarter. Hey, yeah, that was. I believe we scored twenty. Uh, okay, that that was our second wine tasting. <laughs> okay, no, that I mean that play was so funny because here you had Jeff come. He, you know, like you said, Jeff. He he didn't. Uh, Alex didn't see uh, him coming on the blitz at all, and just just blasted him. And the funniest thing, the funniest thing to watch on a football field is trying to see these big offensive linemen or defensive linemen try to land on a football. And it's it's like a football is it it it's like a glitch in a video game. Like when you're playing Madden mm-hmm. or NCAA football, the ball goes right through their body. And that's basically what happened when uh, Joseph Broadnax tried to jump on the ball. It's like the the funniest thing ever. It, it just there's zero percent chance he's going to get that ball. Just it's it's the craziest <laughs> thing. But it, it's just that way for big defensive tackles for whatever reason. And then you had Rico Evans try to pick it up, 
Okay, so that was your yeah. second. That was your second shot. I think if if I think if Big Joe falls on it, then we don't we don't obviously we don't have the pitch play. But the the Ben pitch, it was just man that that whole play, like you said, is just the season in a nutshell. It's you have this great play, everything's so close, and then oh crap, we just gave it away. And that's see, you know, n- not to go all high school jock on you. But I remember my my junior year in football, we had a really good running back who came in and blitzed the DN sometimes with his speed. And there was a fumble you know, on, a, on a drop back pass. And there was a fumble. And this guy, Stan Nelson, the ball is laying there. And he picked it up. And nobody's going to catch him. Like, he just scoops it up and goes, the rest of the season, every time there's a fumble – these defensive linemen think that they're a starting tailback. And so they're trying, they're not falling on it. They're trying to scoop it up and score. And Banigou, you know, he, he, he scooped that, that fumble up against Iowa state. And it, I think it spoiled him for the rest of the season. He's like, you know, I could get a sack or I could fall on it, or I could get another touchdown. Let's get another touchdown. Yeah. How can we do the Cal Stanford uh, fumble ruski here and try to just keep pitching the ball rather than just, Hey, we got the ball. Let's give our offense a chance. <laughs> it- it was funny, man. It, but I'm glad. Yeah, th- you know, this is how it read. Th- go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was glad because he, even after that happened, they still were able to force a punt. So the defense, the defense played solid, and 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 the way they finished up the game on that last drive, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, here you have a 14-13 lead, and they give up a 31 yard pass. And Ugh. and then they they start to pressure Delton again, and 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 they end up uh, turning the ball over on down. So that that was that was good. But uh, overall, for defense, it's it's kind of like they had a cheat sheet to go with it because that's how bad Kansas State's offense is. Um, but I, I would give them a solid B on the effort just because I mean you have you have a team that was held to 13 points on offense. Probably give them a C minus, maybe. Maybe even a D. Um, as far as play calling, I'll I'll, I'll give it a a, a B B minus. I, I did like the play call that he had at the goal line. Uh, the, the getting under center was something that I think everyone wanted to see. We didn't see the wild frog. We didn't see the bubble screens. A, a lot of that was going back to what I said earlier. Is just Michael didn't have as great a day as he did against Kansas. He was off target on a couple plays. It, it either Jalen thought he was running this one route. Mike thought he was running the same route and they just had miscommunication. You could tell that Jalen was getting very upset over that. If you, if they didn't show it on TV, you could definitely tell if you're in the stadium. Yeah, that was obvious yeah. on television. If you're in the stadium yeah. too, you you can see that it was, it was becoming frustrating for, for both of them actually. Uh, but the, the thing I've said all year long, Jeff, and I think you've said it too, if you if you don't have a consistent offensive line that that can block and you have to become one dimensional, you're essentially wadding up your playbook and throwing it in the trash because that's what kind of plays you can call. I feel sorry for Sonny Cumbie right now because his hands are so tied by the way that offensive line is playing. And for you guys that want to keep bashing them, that's fine. You you're entitled to your opinion. But I, I would love to see what you would do different because if, if you want to give Darius Anderson the ball, fine. He rushed for 20 times last week. They still lost. You want to give them uh, – give give uh, uh, more chances for receivers to catch the ball. I mean, they – Jalen Austin and Jerrison Stewart, they finally had a, a decent game. And you have a game that you don't have any offensive turnovers and yet you still – only produced 275 yards. A, a lot of that has has to do um, simply with execution. It it is, and and I and the play calling on the shorts, the the third and shorts or the fourth and shorts. I I probably would go under center too. That's if if there's one objection I have. I've always been like that. Even when I see high school teams do that on short yardage plays and they're lining up in shotgun, uh, it it just kind of makes me mad and kind of scratches my head why why don't they do this but i mean that's that's something that if if you're if you're going to be that nitpicky then no one's ever ever going to change your mind about who's calling plays uh or where this offense is headed because you've already got your mind made up and it's it's the way it is i mean that's how 
that's how it's going to be for the remainder of the season. You know, one of the guys I wanted to highlight and, and recognize was this was a good game for Jarrison Stewart. I had said on the show last week, hey, if he's not going to catch the ball, let's put some of those young guys in there. Um, I'm sure he was not listening to the broadcast, but he responded five catches for 54 yards, had a, a long, a 31. I thought Stewart had a really good game and uh, showed why he's a you know, power five wide receiver. I was really impressed with what Jarrison Stewart was able to do. And I was also really glad to see Jalen Austin get into the offense. He's a big body receiver. He's not going to play in the NFL for 10 years but he knows what to yeah. do when he gets the ball in his hand so I was really really glad to see both those guys that are seniors be able to have that game at home uh Austin had four receptions for 39 yards long of 17 Two of those so big, big um, glad to see those guys catches. yeah 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 big third down catch I think they I think Stewart had four I think three of his five catches were for a first down so I was really glad to see both of those men be, uh, you know good DFW prospects mm-hmm. too be able to come in and, and contribute in the, in the in a victory I was really glad to have it for those guys so I'm trying to think is there anything else from this game that is uh that we can highlight I've kind of already exhausted my notes um I did want to read this to you. Uh, they did. This is this is how Yahoo tells the story of that play that we were talking about. Seven uh, fifty-seven in the third, at the second and eleven at the TCU forty-three. Alex Delton fumbled. Ben Banigou recovered, fumble and returned for three yards. Ben Banigou fumbled. Alex Barnes recovered, fumble for no gain. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a few more, few more piece, moving pieces to it. But that's that's how somebody in the box score decided to go ahead and recognize it. So <laughs> I, I, the one, the one player, you know, we saw Tavalence Hunt. Tavalence had a, a a pretty big drop. The I, I think he could have yes. got it. Uh, to me personally, I thought that was a great throw by Mike uh, on that long route, and that actually that pass was actually into the wind i mean that wind was pretty fierce on the field you can see the flags whipping around so i mean that it just shows how much arm strength he has i was surprised not to see john stevens and even coach p after the game said he was surprised not to see him more uh, so i really don't know what's going on with with that i i, I expected to see him uh more this week and obviously if if he has a chance to play the last few weeks if they need a tall outside receiver he needs he needs to be in there but uh, that that's two things that uh, I, I noticed for sure on on Saturday that those uh, hunt got more playing time and I don't I'm not even sure Stevens got in there for one play uh, the special teams man do they miss Turpin it I mean it just oh. it just goes to show how much um, the guy could change a game. I mean, if you look at the punt return yardage the last couple of weeks, they have, I think, a total of zero yards since he's been gone. And the only time they've started beyond their 30, uh, I think they had one return by, I want to say, Davis against Kansas. It's the only time they started uh, an, their own possession past the 30. And when you had Turpin back there, I mean, you, you never knew if he was – if he was uh, going to return it to the 25 or if he was going to return it all the way for the score. And, and that's something that I think um, fans really took for granted, especially on his punt returns is how he set up a uh, great field position for the offense. But yeah, the special teams have, have just totally transformed the, the last two weeks without Turpin back there. Yeah. There is no denying that we miss him on Special teams, which means that the offense is is at a deficiency. So when you're starting, you know, anywhere from twelve to twenty yards further back than you would if Turpin was back there, that's uh that comes at a heavy cost. And like you said, you never know when he was going to take one back. You could, n- if he was about to return a kick, you didn't change channels, you didn't go to the bathroom, you didn't go buy a, a another soda, or you just wanted to see what was going to happen because those were always exciting plays. And that that is clearly come at a cost because of uh, him no longer being with the team rightfully so but him no longer being with the team is coming at a heavy cost heavy heavy you know there was there was only one other player that i used to like you said jeff you don't leave the room when he goes back for a kickoff or a punt return jeremy curley and this is i'm talking i'm talking not a tcu player and and i'm talking he's a little bit older than us but i remember being 13 14 years old and everyone just this guy just changed the the return game in college football you have any guesses you know where's the wore the wore the same number in college as turpin 
Well, you know who I'd go with is Leland McElroy. He was good. He was good. He was. Who good. would you go with? Rocket Ismail. Rocket Ismail. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't. Rem- Do you remember Vaisekahima? Mm, no, I don't remember him. Yeah, you're you're not old like I am. I remember Leland McElroy. I used to think he was the most uh, dangerous kicker turner in the game. I used to love watching him, even though he was an Aggie. Even though he was an Aggie. Oh, you were a closet Aggie fan? Okay. Dude, there's a picture of me in my high school yearbook wearing an A&M hat. Oh, boy. I know. Up in the farms of Iowa? Up in the farms of Iowa. Yep. Wow. Actually, it was uh, the mean streets of Iowa, but sure. Why? <laughs> It's a long story. Well, you know, maybe, you know what, we need to have... Ag. Uh, Aggies. Yeah. No, because I know it's hard to believe, but it's a it's a 5'9 pulling guard. I was not on the basketball team, and we had a group of us offensive linemen that would stand on the front row of the... Uh, sit on the front row of the of the court for our men's ba- our boys' basketball team, and I bet, I bet I had 10 different hats, and we would always wear uh, different uh, college football hats and scream and mock the revs and say words we didn't lose, learn in Sunday school when the refs weren't around. And one of them was an Aggie hat. And we had like, we had these, uh, you know, those duck decoys, those owl decoys that people put in their sheds. We, we all had one of those that we would sh- fill with quarters and shake. <laughs> and um, I, I, there, I, I usually wore a Nebraska hat because this was back when, when Nebraska was just, you know, destroying everybody in the early 90s. And, you know, Aggie hat, I was like, oh, I got an I didn't, I don't even think I knew if I was going to TCU at that time. So I didn't, I didn't understand my loyal, my loyalties had not been I not I had not made a commitment to to TCU at that time. So just just respect my decision, please. Just respect <laughs> my decision. So <laughs> hopefully nobody has a high school yearbook from Keokuk, Iowa in 92, 93, 94, something like that. So we'll be all right. All right, enough of that stroll down amnesia lane. Let's look at the rest of the Big Twelve. We had three games that we we had three games and one firing, or four games and one of them brought about a firing. Let's look at the first one. Baylor beats Oklahoma State, the same Oklahoma State team that had just uh, beaten Texas the week before and knocked them out of the playoff out of out of playoff conversation. Oklahoma State goes on the road to Baylor and uh, beats uh, and beats or Oklahoma State goes to Baylor and gets beat by Baylor. Does, it, does this surprise either one of you guys? A little bit, yeah. Mostly because of Oklahoma State or because of Baylor, because I, I was watching that game and it just looked like Baylor was getting better as the game went on, and Oklahoma State was hoping for the clock to run out. Yeah, it did look like that, but I mean, I think going in, I was thinking, okay, you know, obviously Baylor's improved, obviously year over year, but uh, and and a little bit throughout the year, I've seen improvement, and they've got weapons on the offense, and the defense is, you know, so so. And, uh, but I just thought Oklahoma state would overall be better. And then you kind of watch the game unfold and it wasn't that way at all. And, uh, it was awful. Not surprised. By yeah. That they blew all. it. Yeah. Oklahoma state blew a 10 point fourth quarter lead. Mm. That was, ooh, that was brutal. I'm not surprised at all. So you're not, no, because it, my opinion has not changed. I still think there's not going to be a team in the big 12 that makes the playoffs just because there's so much parity. And, and I think I think it's four teams and everyone else is pretty much on the same level. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma, West Virginia, uh, I think Texas and, and Iowa State, maybe Iowa State before Texas. Those four teams, I, I think, are the cream of the crop. And the bottom six, I think, obviously, we've all seen this. Those those six teams can beat each other any, any Saturday. And – I was impressed with Oklahoma's win, Oklahoma State's win over Texas, but for whatever reason, Baylor's Baylor's played some teams close. Now they went up there and laid an egg, an egg against West Virginia last week, but it, it's just it's just crazy how close some of these teams are. There, if you look at the records, you have TCU at four and five. What's Baylor now? Five and four, or, or, or yes, or, I believe they're five or six and three. one of the Oklahoma State's five and four. Uh, K State's three and six. You've got Iowa State at six and three. I think is their record or six. And, I can't remember what their record. But anyway, you, you got a lot of teams. Kansas, which is down there, they somehow beat TCU for crying out loud. What? Yeah. And then. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about <laughs> you're that. You're trying to forget about that. 
But I, I honestly think those it. those bottom six teams, and then Texas Tech, you know, Texas Tech. Yeah. I mean, they've got what three losses now in the Big Twelve, but they, yes, but they they play they play teams tough, and and mm-hmm. that's it's just so much parity between uh, really the the bottom bottom six teams. They're all going to knock each other off, man. And then I think obviously of those bottom six, you have some of those teams that can knock off any of the top four teams like like uh, uh, Oklahoma State did. I would say smoking. Yeah, or, or, yeah you know, Oklahoma State. I was just talking about the bottom six. I mean, it, you had uh, uh, obviously Oklahoma State beat Texas, and then you had uh, Texas Tech played Oklahoma close the other night. And it, it's it's just – goes goes to show you that there's just so much parity in this league. So I'm not surprised because I'm, I'm not sitting here saying I'm, I'm thinking Baylor's better. I'm just saying I, I think so many of these teams are so close in, in you know, the athletes that they have and just some of the luck they've had. Now, TCU and Kansas State are on the, the lowest of lows when it comes to luck because both those teams have had massive, massive injuries and – uh, to key players, but it 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 might be one of those deals where you go up to Morgantown next week and you have the lower six plays the top four teams plays you know TCU playing West Virginia and it could very much be like when Baylor played West Virginia. I'm just glad it's an 11 a.m. game instead of a night game. Oh, I know, I am too. I'm really glad that's 11 o'clock game. Yeah the the game that was that started. About about an hour after, you know, half hour, I guess, after the TCU uh, Kansas State game began, was the Texas West Virginia game, and that game went so long, I got to watch the whole fourth quarter uninterrupted of, of Texas West Virginia. Boys, that was a ball oh, yeah. game. That that was one of the best games I've watched all year, and I was kind of torn because, you know, I'm not a homer and we don't get any credit for it, but I was like, man, it it probably would be good if. Uh, if, 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 if West Virginia could stay in the playoff talk, but also, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, man, do I, do, do you want them to just keep rolling when, when TCU plays them next week? So I was kind of like, I don't, I don't really know what I want to have happen here, but Dana, they score, you know, Will Greer is, is a boss. I mean, I can just say that he is a stud and they, they have exceeded the expectations that I had for him this year. And I'll just, I'll just kind of own that. But when they're, they're down, they're down by one and, and Holgerson decides to go for two and Will Greer rolls out to the left, struts into the end zone, and then I feel like half the state of West Virginia goes into the student section and puts their horns down. I, I got I to gotta admit, I just absolutely love that. I just absolutely love that for two reasons. One, because he was they, they, they accomplished something great. That was a huge win for their program. That's the biggest win for West Virginia in the Big 12. And number two, there are going to be all these stories and all of these fans complaining about how you need to stop disrespecting the University of Texas by putting your horns down. I can just tell you, if you're getting mad that somebody puts their horns down when they beat you, Texas is not back. <laughs> they are officially not back. And listening to Herman whine about how that should have been an unsportsmanlike and taking the touchdown off the board, dude, own it. Take your L. I've got a big L to hand you. I could not believe his comments after the game and in the day after when he was meeting with the press. I just thought that was a great moment for West Virginia. And, you know, Holgerson, he probably lives out of his car. You know, he's got a, he's got a huge expense account at Sam's Club. But that was kind of cool to watch them be able to get that win. Really cool to be able to see them get that win. Did you guys able to catch any of the highlights or catch the last few minutes of that game at all? Not yet. I I have it. I was going to watch it tonight, but I, I may be too tired. I'm going to have to watch it tomorrow night. But I did see where uh, Ellinger um, <laughs> basically went on Twitter and um, how dare you disrespect the great traditions or whatever the hell he said. Oh, you no. Know, <laughs> shut up. I mean, I, I don't – I'm willing to bet without Tom Herman around influencing them, he doesn't do that. You know, because, yeah, they may not like it, but you don't come out and say, we remember every player who does this and this will not be tolerated or whatever he said. You know, almost sounded like, you know – we're coming to get you, you know, blow it out your ass. 
<laughs> oh, we watched it. Uh, we were waiting for Mike Collins to come up, which, by the way, if you guys keep hearing me refer to him as Mike, that's what he wants to be called now. My, instead of Michael, he, he goes by Mike. Mike. Uh, so Mike Collins. We we're waiting for Mike Collins to come talk to the media after uh, after the, the game, and and we we were waiting. He was taking kind of a long time, and so one of the guys pulled out his phone. We're we're watching the Texas game after they had scored the touchdown, and it's uh, whatever they have to go for two points. And everyone's discussing, do they go for two if they score? And everyone's like, well, yeah, because you don't want to get into an overtime situation on the road. You want to just take care of it then. And it was so funny because we're all watching it, and then they they get David Seals the the touchdown, but you could obviously hear the whistle. Yeah, they had called timeout before that that play. Yeah, and then Herman's just over there smirking, just l- laughing away, and then and then they cut back to the play. And Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but all of us had the same thing when we're watching it on this little phone. It looked like Tom Herman was about to cry yes. before that play happened. He he looked so teary eyed and and just like. Man, is he upset? Like all of us were thinking, man, is he upset? What what's he upset for? What's what's going on? Play hasn't happened. And then you see Will Greer uh run that play in and it was it was uh just crazy because we were all talking about how TCU did it to yeah. Boise State and then they obviously did it to West Virginia and it, it, we were all saying, you know, if this was Gary, Gary goes for two, no doubt. And uh we we were all convinced that Dana was going to go for two as well, and we were, happened to be right. But it, it was man, it was pretty cool. And then and then right after uh, it, after after the touchdown had happened, uh, we were still waiting on Mike. And then when when we got up, we're we're waiting forever. He finally comes up there, and he was talking about we we kept teasing Mark Cohen. Oh, he's down there in the locker room watching this game. He's like, nah, he's probably not watching that game. And so when Mike gets up there. This was right before the two-point conversion because they had so many commercials or whatever. He gets up there, and we're still watching, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing them score a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> so he ratted, him, he ratted himself out. But, yeah, so we, we all sat there with Mike and, and watched the, uh, the two-point conversion. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, man, just how that, how that all happened. Yeah, all I could think about was, as you referenced, Boise, 2011, Casey to Josh Boyce. 2012, Travon, almost the exact same play to Josh Boyce. Yeah. And you when you uh-huh. when you get a chance to go for the kill on the road, you you have to do it. You have you have to do it. That's how West Virginia is going to get to 10 or 11 wins. You got to go steal a game, and they stole that game in Austin. And I I was happy for them. I, I was I was really happy for them. That is clearly a good team. That is clearly a good team. And I was I, I, Holgerson is good for the conference. If nothing else, he's a He's he's a good interview and he's a great guy to have the camera on. So big big fan of Dave and good 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 for you, West Virginia. So he's almost like having Mike Leach in the conference. Not not that crazy, but it's <laughs> but it's still good the way he is. Yeah, and you know, like I I can just I can just see him and Gary just going out on the town and <laughs> you know having a few drinks. And I mean, I think I think Coach P like he 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 really likes. Hogerson. Oh yeah. I, I don't know what it is about them, but those two just click, man. They they get along great. Yeah. I'd like to see an open mic or just somebody hit record with Gary, Dana, and Gundy and just get get them going. That would be a that would be a oh, great no that would be a great conversation. That would be a great conversation. Well, you've referenced it here in well, let, let me say this again real quick here. Oklahoma beats Tech out in Lubbock. That w- that was a good game. If it wasn't for the first five minutes where uh, Kyler Murray had two two interceptions that, that led to straight to t- two tech scores, the game probably would have been a, a little bit more margin victory for Oklahoma. But Oklahoma does what it needs to do. Night games in Lubbock are no fun. And Oklahoma is is right now sitting at the top of the conference in terms of standings for the college football playoff. Uh, you you referenced this, Jeremy. You don't think that the Big 12 is going to be able to get anybody in. You keep saying because you think they're going to keep knocking each other off. Who is Oklahoma going to lose to? I guess that's my question. If West Virginia has well, one loss and Oklahoma has one loss, uh, they, they need something to happen at the top above them, which you know probably could happen. But you're arguing that nobody's going to be in a, in, in a spot as a one-loss team after conference championship weekend. Who are those teams going to lose to, and how are Oklahoma and West Virginia both going to have two L's? My my prediction. First off, I want to say something about the Oklahoma Texas Tech game. That game 
is probably completely different if Alan Bowman doesn't go out at halftime. Oh, what? A- because he was shredding that secondary in the first half. Uh, so, and Jet Duffy, yeah, you, you got the win in Fort Worth, but he is nowhere close to being Alan Bowman. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He is nowhere close to, to being Alan Bowman. But my scenario is you have you have Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, and Iowa State. That's the top four teams, okay? So we already know Texas has beat Oklahoma and Iowa State's beat West Virginia. I think Oklahoma is going to beat West Virginia. So that's 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 going to give them a tiebreaker. I, I think Oklahoma is going to make it. They're not going to lose another game in conference this year. They're going to make it to the Big 12 championship with one loss. The thing that has to happen is Iowa State has to win out. Iowa State has to win out. And that includes beating Texas. If they be, if they beat Texas, yeah. if they beat Texas, then Texas is out. If Texas beats Iowa State, then West Virginia will have the head-to-head against Texas. So it could be a rematch of Oklahoma West Virginia. But I think out of those scenarios, that the the most probable is Iowa State beating Texas. I know it's on the road at Texas, but I think they can do it. They've been playing some pretty good football of late. And I, and I think playing Oklahoma again and having a chance to uh, let that Brock Purdy kid play against Oklahoma, I think I think he has uh, a lot of athleticism, more athleticism. And, and, and Iowa State ran up some yards against, against uh, Oklahoma the first time they met them. If Iowa State upsets Oklahoma, that's going to be the end of it. But the, the thing that concerns me more now – is those those teams in the playoffs like uh, Alabama? No one go ahead and mark your 2019 national championship for Alabama. No one is beating them, so it's just Ugh. forget that the national championship is Alabama. That. Just forget about it. No one will beat them. No one. <laughs> Clemson is is playing really good. If Michigan knocks off Ohio State, they're in. Notre Dame's going to finish undefeated, and uh, Michigan. Uh, Notre Dame beat Michigan, or it was a, yeah. Notre Dame beat Michigan, so they've got the quality win over a quality opponent. So they're in, and I, I think for those reasons, for their wins and the, and the fact that Oklahoma is not going to get much style points for beating, even though they say it doesn't matter, style points don't matter. I, I don't think with the way the Big Twelve has knocked each other off this year that it's going to be enough for Oklahoma to get in. It just it, those those scenarios have to happen. Alabama's going to finish undefeated. Clemson's going to finish undefeated. Notre Dame's going to finish undefeated. And then you have Michigan. If they knock off Ohio State, they're they're going to be in. They're going to win the the Big Ten championship, and they'll be in. It's it's that easy. If, if if everything happens now, if you have one of those teams that loses for whatever reason, then yeah, I think Oklahoma can get in. But I keep thinking with my whole scenario that Iowa State is somehow going to pull off an upset, but. It's just my wild prediction, man. I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, and we'll see if it works out. But Iowa State's playing good football right now. That's that's my. Uh, if TCU can't make it, then I'm, I'm rooting for I'm rooting for the Cyclones right now. Yeah, if TCU can't make it, I'm all for the fighting Matt Campbells. Big fan of theirs. Big fan of theirs. All right, real quick here, guys. We want to take a moment and, and thank one of our sponsors, Teen Life. If you haven't yet, please go online to teenlife.ngo. This is a great nonprofit based out of Fort Worth that does uh, great mentoring for students in Fort Worth ISD and, be- and beyond. They offer resources and training for junior high and high school students through mentors that they train so that they can set them up to succeed in life. If you would love to volunteer, go to teenlife.ngo and give you a chance to sign up and go through their training so that you can help young students create their own future. And also for all of our well-heeled listeners, I know you guys that are sitting on the west side like Daniel, this is your good chance to make an end-of-the-year donation. This is a tax-deductible nonprofit donation at teenlife.ngo. You can go on there and find all of their information for ways that you can invest in your community and be able to make a difference in the lives of teenagers. Go to teenlife.ngo. 
Well, not only did the Frogs have uh, a game on Saturday, one of the future Frogs had a game on Friday right there in DFW. Jeremy, real quick, you were able to go out there and see the number one running back in the state of Texas through 24-7 ratings, Foster, out of uh, Wichita Falls, playing in Springtown, I believe. He went off. He just went off. Take a minute and tell uh, tell Frog fans what you saw and uh, maybe get an update about what you were able to, to hear from him in the conversation that you had after the game. Well, this was a game, yeah, I'm right down the road from Springtown, and so everyone is kind of jumping on Springtown's bandwagon this year. They're, they've played really good. They were 7-1 and one heading into Friday's game, and, and really this, uh, this was a game that if they won, they would be – in the driver's seat for the number one seed in the playoffs. And, and same thing for Hershey, but the, the crazy thing about it is the, the one loss that Hershey had on the year was a 22, 20 loss to Decatur and Springtown beat Decatur 75 to 35 earlier in the year. So Whoa. everyone was kind of doubting, everyone was count, kind of doubting what Hershey would be able to do against Springtown. And I'll tell you right now, against Hershey, they, they're not a passing team. Quarterback's just a little bit taller than I am. He's really quick. But I will tell you, they ride the legs of DeMarque Foster. It, it is so crazy how good that kid is when he's facing consistently an eight- to nine-man box. Uh, they don't even – when they line up wide at receiver, they really don't even – account for for those guys they know that they're going to be handing off to the running back and, and they still can't stop them it, there were several times where you feel like they had him bottled up and he's just running over kids he's running around them running through them he he has a unique blend of uh of speed and strength that i haven't seen in a long time from a running back and someone asked me on the board who who he reminds me of and I, I I didn't cover this guy when when uh, when I saw him in high school, but he he reminds me so much of the way he runs and just the speed. But the way Cedric Benson used to run in high school Ooh. at Midland Lee, that's that's who this kid reminds me of. Wow this this kid this kid has just got. I mean, like I told you guys over the summer, he ran a four three eight at TCU and. He doesn't slow down. This is one of those guys that can run the ball. He'll get 25 yards, and then the coaches go right back to him. And he just doesn't seem to get very tired. He's good at blocking. He's he's good at uh, catching the football. But this was a game that they had to have. No one thought they would win. He ends up finishing with 25 carries for 361 yards, four scores. He had about a 55-yarder called back on a swing pass. Um, which would have been his fifth touchdown. I got. I happened to get that video too. If you look at the story, it, that clip is on there, uh, on the video that I posted. But the the kid is extraordinary for for me. I and this is no offense to uh, to to Max because I think Max is a is a really good player too. But I think uh, I think Foster may be the top rated kid in this class. I mean, he just the fact that rivals or ESPN has this kid as a three-star is a travesty it is no doubt that he is the top running back in the state he's he him and darwin barlow are gonna team up to to be a, a really good running back tandem but demarque is is a guy that if if darius leaves then yeah he's he's gonna carry the ball next year the best thing about demarque is he he's just a just a good kid man He's just a, he's, it was funny because I told him I was coming to the game. I told him over the summer, Hey, I, I, I'm going to come see you when you guys play springtime. I think it's going to be a really good game. And, and, and he remembered that and he messaged me <laughs> this week and said, Hey, you still coming? And, and I said, well, heck yeah, I'm, I'll be there. And, uh, so it was my son's birthday on Friday. So we had a, we had a, a dinner planned and, and, um, uh, I told my wife, "Hey, listen, I I promised this kid that I would not miss this game. And I, I know it's my son's birthday, but for for crying out loud, I'm I'm around him, you know, all day, every day. I mean, this I'm just telling you right now. There's food in the oh, fridge. Okay. Be grateful, what, what, son. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, I did go out, but I didn't get to the game until about nine minutes left in the second quarter, and he had already scored one touchdown, and it was already, uh, I think it was fifteen to ten by the time I got there, and. But he really, he really did put on a show at, 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 in the second half, and it was funny as I was standing there at the at the end zone, 
uh, area where those those players come out and warm up uh, during during halftime before second half gets started. He runs over to me, gives me a big hug and everything, and just just a a, a really good kid, really personable, uh, just very outgoing. And I told him, I said, I, I joked around with him. I said, hey, man, I missed, I know you scored a touchdown. I missed it. So you're going to put on a show the second half. He's like, I got you. I got you. We're going to do this. And then they just really, really took control, just running behind him in the second half. And they just ran away with it, man. They, there's there's no other way around it. That, that guy put his team on his shoulders and just carried them. And if they – if they continue to block, I mean, his his offensive line is strong. They're not very big, but they're strong. And when you have a guy with his speed and, and his strength, it just makes it makes it even better. But it, I, I think that TCU fans are going to be extremely excited to see what this kid can do next year. And I asked him specifically, hey, you know, the team's not doing really good. You know, when I talked to him on Friday, they were three and five at the time. He looked at me dead and I said, I ain't worried about that. He goes, I, none of us are worried about that. And he said, if anything, it makes me just want to work harder. So when I get there, I can help us get better. And, and he said that uh, a lot of schools are still looking at him, but he's solid to TCU. Coach Looper's the guy that recruited him and, and said that Coach Looper's like a second dad to him. So just remember when all you TCU fans want to get rid of Looper, you might be losing – a top running back recruit too. Uh, but don't worry about that because it, the coaches ain't making the right calls and they won't get the right recruits in there. So, I mean, just, just think about what you wish for sometimes TCU fans, but the, uh, the, the sky's the limit for this kid. I mean, he, he is going to be a, a good player. And like I said, he's in, in the time I've, I've done this since Oh five, he's probably uh, the best running back I've, I've seen. Um, since I've covered TCU, just as far as guys that TCU uh, really targeted. And now I wasn't there to to follow LaDainian Tomlinson or anything like that. That was before my time of covering, a, being a beat writer for TCU. So don't don't harp on me too bad. But um, as far as 05 goes, this, this, kid is, uh, this kid is at the top. Wow. Those are strong words right there. Those are strong words. I have. Uh... I'm gonna write you. I'm gonna write that down. And hold you to it. So I'm excited about Foster coming it. there. I am really excited about that. Well, guys, we made a little uh, pack before we got started that we would try to keep this one short, and we're now at 57 minutes. So in the three minutes that we have left, let's kind of get um, let's get three keys to the game. Every one of us give one key to the game. The Frogs go to Morgantown. They played 11 o'clock this Saturday on Fox Sports One. This is going to be a tough game. There's just no way about it. This. I don't think it's the best team we've played this year. I think that obviously that's Oklahoma and Ohio State, but West Virginia on the road is no cupcake. This is going to be a dogfight. Jeremy, let's start with you. What's one key to the game for the Frogs to be able to to get a victory? Score 30 points. 30 points. Do you think 30 points gets them a win? If it gets them a win, it's by three or less points. I mean, it could give them a loss. I mean, they could give up this. Unfortunately for me, Jeff, this, this reminds me of the 2016 game where they just went up there and got annihilated. And this is kind of my thoughts on this. I I, I think it very easily could be a, a 34, six type game for West Virginia. I mean, that's just, that's just my thought process right now, but TCU has to score and it's going to be tough, man. I mean, I don't, predict TCU to lose a lot of games well I have this year but uh this is one that I'm that I'm not predicting although I will be extremely pleasantly surprised if they do get a win Daniel what's the key to the game that you have in order to uh for the frogs to be able to keep it close or get a W win by one (laughs) or or grow them up or one of those uh, I I don't see much hope this week, so just gonna win. It's like win in Rome, win in Morgantown. Uh, just hammer down the moonshine and get through it. Well, I think we need the injury bugs that have hit the frogs to to all of a sudden come crashing down on West Virginia. If maybe Will Greer could have a non career threatening but game ending injury, and then David Sills have something similar on the next play 
then I think it could be a fair fight. Other than that, it's going to be a really, really tough game. I'm I'm really curious to see what our secondary is able to do because if we're not able to get a pass rush and we're not able to uh, contain Will Greer, they're going to just torch them because that offense is designed that offense is designed to put 35 points up in the first half. So we'll see what comes up. To make it a fair fight defensively, though, they'd they'd need to lose four starters right off the bat. Yes, they They would. They need to lose guys like Blacklock or Summers or Small or Gaines. Mm -hmm. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. You know, I I wrote this down in my notes, and I know we want to wrap up, but you know, watching West Virginia's offense, watching Texas Tech's offense against Oklahoma, watching Oklahoma's offense against Texas Tech, I just don't have any hope that we're going to be able to put up 30 points the rest of the year because every time Texas Tech got the ball, I just assumed they were going to score, even though I knew Oklahoma would score the next time they got the ball. And when West Virginia was driving there on that on that game-winning drive, there was about zero doubt in my mind that they were going to put the ball in the end zone. I mean, we're at the one against Kansas, and we can't knock it in. I'm not going to just camp out on that all season, but I don't have confidence in in trust in in the offense's ability to to put up 30, 35 points. And I think what you said, Jeremy, that's what it's going to take to beat West Virginia. Unless there's a fluke, unless there's a hailstorm, unless you know there's like a monsoon of burning couches, I just don't see that the frogs are going to be able to put that up that kind of points. I'd love to be surprised. Love to be surprised. But even then, even then, if it's a monsoon or a hellstorm or snow and they can't pass the ball they can't run the ball so yeah speaking of offenses do you ever think you know when we used to all play ncaa football and we were all real good at it oh i was great at it we 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 can score and and even when the you're playing the heisman level even when the computer is scoring on you you just know no matter what you're going to go down and score every time like you know, no matter if the if, if your defense sucks and you can't stop the computer, they score forty points. You're confident in your offense scoring forty two points. You're confident in your own ability to score enough points. Yes. You ever think you ever think Lincoln Riley gets that feeling on the sideline that that kind of feeling that we got when we're playing video games when he's just watching a video game offense that he has with Kyler Murray. And yeah. There's no, there's no matter what, e- even if another team scores 46 except you know obviously with the texas loss i mean they they scored 45 and they lost they got rid of the problem there but i mean it's i mean that's that's just crazy just how they just just score at will i mean that to me i think they should let oklahoma in the playoffs if it if they do finish the season 12 and 1 because i think personal personally that is the only team that can keep up offensively with what Alabama can do. Oh, I I agree completely. I think the only team in the top 10 that could beat Alabama is Oklahoma. And it's not because I think Oklahoma's better. It's just if you told Lincoln Riley you have to score 52 points to win this game, he'd be like, "Okay." That like that they wouldn't, you know, can you can you imagine telling Michigan you need 52 points and you <laughs> you know, they're like, "What? Like over the next 3 games?" I mean, there's if you told Kyler Kyler Murray, "I need you to score a touchdown the next six drives," they're like, "All right, let's go for it." I mean, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. That's why that that loss that loss in Red River is just going to haunt them all year. Yeah, all year. And I, I don't think it should be held against them in the way that that it is. Um, I, but I don't know who they should be ranked ahead of because I, I think it's pretty accurate in front of them. But Man, yeah. if they if they got a sh- if they got into the playoff and they were number four and Oklahoma was number if Oklahoma was number four and Alabama was number one, I would pick Oklahoma. And I think uh, I think this is the best Bama team I may have ever they've ever had. Yeah, this I might think, be perhaps the best college team. I mean, I don't like, know, man. I, I can't remember who I was saying. You have the number one team playing the number three team. It's already a fourteen and a half spread, and just to, just to show. How much they're they're proving everyone wrong? They go ahead and double the spread yeah. and beating the number three team in the country at their place at yeah. Death Valley. I think the the best team in college football history is the thirty eight Frogs, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about that on the ticket the other day. Do you think the nineteen sixty nine whoever it was Texas team could play against the two thousand 18 Alabama team, you know, you, you, you know, I got a whole theory on that. You want to hear it? 
if you've listened this long, you're going to listen. Can I, can I give you my working theory on all that? Sure. I don't count any national titles before integration. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, like, until the playing field is leveled and teams are actually, uh, you know, uh, compositions of our society. I, if they're, you know, you know, the, the, the teams that were in the 60s that everybody loved from Alabama and Texas, you know, who would have whooped them? Grambling State would have taken them out back and beat them like a mule. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time. I mean, those are good teams, and I recognize the effort, and they're a product of their times, and it's wrong, and we're in a better spot now, and I'm grateful for that. But, you know, the best teams in college football in the 40s and the 50s were playing at uh, at the historic black and co- uh, the historic black colleges and universities. I know that there's they're great teams and are all kinds of programs, including, including TCU's two national titles. But I really kind of look at the modern era beginning with integration because that's when that's when everybody. That's when it became inclusive of everyone, and those are those are the teams that uh, I think reflect the reflect our country and or, or the should be recognized as national champ- champions. Don't take the banners down before that. I get that, but just realize <laughs> the best team was probably Grambling. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the best team was probably Grambling. That's my that's my two cents. So, so no, I don't think that the nineteen sixty eight. What was the last all-white team to win a national championship? I think it was that Texas team in 69. So I think that they beat Arkansas. I We're totally down a rabbit hole now. But no, they would have gotten they would have been annihilated by Grambling. So all right, on that note, folks, we're gonna bring this show to an end. We should do we should do an we should collect an off-topic uh off-season podcast. Uh we should collect topics that we should talk about off-season because there's a lot of good stuff we could talk about with college football. We're going to bring this show to an end. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you haven't uh, signed up yet, please go to TCU 24-7. Join hornfrogblitz.com and give you a chance to stay connected with what's going on. And subscribe on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. Give us a review. Give us a rating. It would go a long way for us, and we would appreciate it. So until we get together next Sunday night and listen to, hopefully, a recap of the Frogs' win over West Virginia, for Jeremy and for Daniel, I am Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Frogcast.